This is a Broad Pods production. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and my co-host today is Zoe Daniel. Hey Jo. I know that you're absolutely loving the Olympics and you are really, you know, you've been on the couch getting as many Olympics hours in. What's been your highlight? Oh, I'm I'm obsessed. I'm, I'm sorry. I just can't <laughs> stop watching it. And like there are obviously I am have work to do. So some <laughs> days I've had to like banish myself from the lounge room and not turn on the TV because every time I hear the commentary team getting excited, I have to run in and see <laughs> what's happening. But oh, I just love it all. I mean, I, I honestly do. I love the swimming. I, I was so just completely thrilled and inspired by those women particularly. Mm. You know, our women's swimmers were just extraordinary. Um, the Matildas in the soccer on the weekend I mean unfortunately they dropped a game last night but they still played really well but their game against Great Britain on on the weekend I'm surprised the whole of Australia couldn't hear us screaming <laughs> from our lounge room and I just think look it's been a pretty tough couple of years Let, let's face it there's no sort of putting that aside and I know a lot of people were like oh the Olympics, it shouldn't be happening because of COVID risks and all those sorts of things. But I guess I, I kind of took the position that if you're an athlete who's been working for your whole life and you may compete in only one Olympics, like I think about 70% of the athletes only get to go once, you might actually just totally miss your window if that Olympics doesn't happen. So I was so pleased to see it did get up. And although I thought the atmosphere might be a bit flat because of lack of crowd. I've just found it completely inspirational. And I feel like it's exactly what I needed during this time of COVID. Like extraordinarily dedicated, hardworking, inspirational people doing amazing things. Yes. What could be better? I know. And then the, the, <laughs> the emotion and the joy and everything that comes with it. Oh, I absolutely have been loving it too. I've surprised myself because I, I was ready to poo-poo it. But, geez, I'm, I'm well and truly on board. So, uh 
coming up very soon. We're going to be crossing actually to Tokyo, which is super exciting. We're going to be speaking with Channel 7 reporter Chanel Vella, who's one of our favourites on Twitter. We've become quite obsessed with her. So we're going to be joining her in Tokyo very soon, which is super exciting. Also, later in the show, we are going to be speaking with former MP Cathy McGowan AO. We're going to be talking about independence in Parliament and how important independents are. We're hoping that it might change Australia at some point if we get more independence in Parliament. And also we're going to be speaking with pioneer for women's health, Janet Micklemore, CEO of Gene House for Women's Health. So I have to start the show with our exciting announcement, Zoe, and that is that we are partnering with Gene House for Women's Health. Gene House for Women's Health are an amazing organisation who work tirelessly for advocating for women's health and educating and supporting women. And we're partnering with them. We're doing a little pop-up show during Women's Health Week in September, 6th to the 10th of September. We're going to be doing daily shows at 1pm, covering all the different issues and topics that they bring to Women's Health Week. Um, it's just a super exciting partnership and something that we've been working really hard to establish. So it's a big, big day for Broad Radio to be announcing that, Zoe. Yeah, and just a really inspiring organisation. Um, Jean Hales, you know, women who start something like that, and leave that kind of not only legacy but something that continues through the generations and continues to benefit uh, women and people over time, uh, I think just really need to be recognised as super special. Like you might not sort of think when you think of oh, Jean Hales, you know, the organisation, that this was one person that inspired this thing that is now benefiting so many people. Fantastic mm. to be involved with them. Yeah, you're right. She's changed. Jean Howes and, in fact, Janet Micklemore, who the family mm. have gone on to uh, really keep Jean Howes for women's health alive. Um, yeah, they have changed Australia and, and women's health in general. So um, we're thrilled to be a part of uh, this organisation in a very tiny way. So we're going to be speaking with Janet very soon. Um, a couple of uh, other bits of housekeeping at the top. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're watching on Facebook, like and follow. And do share your thoughts and your comments throughout the show today. We always love that when you do that. If you would like to catch up on any other episode, you can do that on Broad Radio On The Go, our podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And we love it when you let us know what you think with our More To Say survey. Uh, if you enter our survey, our one question, poll I should say this week you could win a love your hands pack with thanks to Sabre Organics thank you so much it's a beautiful little pack of 100% certified organic products there and this week our question is gee it's contentious we haven't actually said this yet we're asking the question Zoe do you call yourself a feminist oh who knew that such a word feminist is such a controversial thing because for me, Zoe, and I'm sure you're the same, it's so obvious, of course we're a feminist because that's what equality means. But a lot of people really distance themselves from that word. Yeah, and it's like feminist with a capital F or a small f and mm. how does feminism manifest for you? You know, in my mind, feminism is um, sort of, entrenched in in our daily life the way that we interact with each other the way that we interact with our family members people in our workplace the way that we present ourselves to the world our expectations of it and all of that has come from feminists before us you know you can't take that for granted so 
I, I understand that some people don't like the label, but we all sort of need to embrace, in my mind, the fact that we wouldn't be sitting here where we are today if it wasn't for all of those women who put in all that hard work ahead of us. And we, we have to continue to honour that um, and pursue improvement as we are, Joe. I mean, mm. that's what we're trying to do, right? Absolutely. And, and yeah, I think you're right. It's 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 impossible to ignore the fact that we have a vote today. Women are allowed to vote. It's so basic, you know, and there are so many other things um, that we benefit from because of the feminists that have gone before us. Um, but also, I really don't like the way the word has been um, it sort of uh, made to represent angry, aggressive, um, you know, bra burning. I mean, don't wear a bra, I don't care. But it's, you know, it really has been kind of sold as a negative thing and we need to wrestle it back as a really positive, powerful mm. thing. Yeah, I agree. And you know what I think is interesting and, and positive is that I know that if I ask my 12-year-old daughter, are you a feminist? She'll say, well, of course. Like, yeah. and understands that um, her expectations of the way that her life will be are because of everyone that's come before her and so that that sits as sort of central to her identity and I don't think girls of that age see it as negative at all I think they see it mm. as very positive that is great parenting on your behalf Zoe and yes I think our, that next generation are going to save the world now I need to bring something up for you with you I should say uh -oh. <laughs> wow. there's been a little bit of argy-bargy on the Twitter sphere between Kirsty Wiebeck and a whole bunch of horse-loving types because our very own Kirsty, one of our broads here, she's one of the funniest women on Twitter. You've got to check her out if you don't follow her on Twitter. She, at some point, said something negative about the dressage at the Olympics and people really took offence. And it was a bit <laughs> tricky for you because as a fellow broad, you're a real fan of the horsey sports. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I do enjoy that banter with Kirsty on Twitter. And and to be fair, I mean, she, she set herself up during the lockdown as a, a deliberate agitator on Twitter. Her, her <laughs> modus operandi is to get a reaction. In this case, perhaps it was slightly larger than what she expected because um, she she was kind of like, oh, dressage should be out of the olympics and i'll probably get cancelled for this and my response was yeah you're done and then <laughs> yeah there was a complete avalanche of dressage and horse lovers who pounced on on her it's all in fun it's all in good fun but yeah. you know i mean joe i started riding horses when i was i grew up uh, doing dressage yeah but especially show jumping and eventing and it, it was really um my first love in life and I, I miss it a lot and I once aspired to go to the Olympics as a three-day eventer myself so I will always defend the equestrian sports and I will make the point right now that although we had an all-male um, eventing team we won a silver medal in eventing yesterday and an individual bronze for Andrew Hoy who I've met several times I, I covered the Athens Olympics when Andrew was riding um, Eighth Olympics, won a bronze medal at 62 and Incredible. still potentially aspires to go on to another Olympics. So, you know, that's a pretty, well, an absolutely extraordinary 
Oh, and, you know, venting is a hard sport. Yeah, and all the equestrian sports are hard sports and Australians do really well in those sports. We have to be proud of that. Yeah, oh, Andrew Hoy is extraordinary. He's, he's our oldest ever Olympic gold medalist. Is that true? Yeah, I think he's won yeah. three golds yeah. um, in previous Olympics. Incredible. And he's just also a very nice man too. Um, That's nice to know. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 full disclosure, I was picked on by the pony club girls when I was in primary school because we lived near a pony club and every Saturday my mum would give me a gold coin. Oh, well, no, it would have been a $2 note back then. And I got to go up and, and buy a pie from the milk bar and the pony club girls would gather at the front in their very beautiful boots and jumpers and, and velvet jackets. And they were very nasty to me in my op shop tracky dags. So <laughs> I have a little bit of trauma when it comes to the horsey sports myself. <laughs> But I think the fancy pony club girls give the horsey, horsey people a bad name because you're not all like that. No, and, you know, I always kind of aspired to be a fancy pony club girl when I was a kid. I was mm. not from a wealthy family, so I was always the one with the ratty horse and the ratty saddles and the secondhand boots and, and all those sorts of things. But it is a sport. Um, a lot of girls get into ponies and, and riding and the one thing I would say about it is it really does breed um, independence and, and toughness and problem solving skills and all sorts of things because you know when you are responsible for looking after an animal um, and training that animal and feeding it and making sure it's okay and working outdoors and having to sort of sort things out for yourselves um, there's a lot of strength that comes from that and mm. I actually take a lot of who I am as a person from my time running around on ponies as a kid in an era, to be fair, where there was very little parental supervision. So <laughs> if you fell off the pony out in the back paddock, you got back on and rode home. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you couldn't get all of that in your tweets to uh, Kirsty, but I, I, <laughs> I will pass it on. Someone else who has been a true delight to be following on Twitter re of recent weeks. She's doing an extraordinary job covering the games over in Tokyo, but also a great job giving us all the information we need with regard to COVID as well, with a lovely healthy dose of humour in there. It's just refreshing and we're so excited to cross now all the way to Tokyo. Chanel Vella from Channel 7. Hello, Chanel. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a true delight. Tell us, uh, how is it over there in Tokyo? Give us a sense of the vibe, given there's no crowds. Yeah, it's, it's a strange feeling, I'll have to say. And when we were asked to come here, full disclosure, I was worried. We were hearing the stories about the state of emergency and we didn't know what it was going to be like. Took the plunge, got here. I have to say they have done an incredible job at making this feel safe and be safe. We are testing all the time, constantly, you're running to the to the bathroom at events to do a test quickly and then drop it off at the testing centre. We've got apps that kind of track our movements to make sure that we stay in the bubble. But the atmosphere itself, we were also a little bit worried about. You mentioned it before, those empty stadiums. We've noticed that athletes are bringing a lot more of their support staff to their events, so there is still yelling going on. And the other thing that I think is important to touch on is we didn't know how these games would be received back home. There's obviously a lot of people flying out of the country um, for these games which people aren't able to do and the reception has been amazing everyone I speak to back home has found some kind of a lift out of the games and that's really wonderful for us here being able to bring it to homes and 
put some light into people's lockdown lives, of course. We know several places locked down back home. And the athletes are really feeding off that too. They're so aware and so humble about the fact that they're here and people are in lockdown and they want to make sure they do their best for Australian and for Australia rather. And you just feel so wonderful being here. It's an extraordinary event to which uh, to be here. And you have to remember as well, we're witnessing it and Japanese locals can't even witness it. So it does feel extra special. And what's been the highlight for you so far, Chanel? I mean, the, the Australians have done exceptionally well so far and we're only on Tuesday of the second week, so there's still time. Does something stand out? Yeah, I think I've said the whole time, if you wanted to learn the Australian anthem, the pool is where you would head. Um, <laughs> it has been played so many times there. But especially for other sports, and I think we always know we're going to do well in the pool. There are a couple of times we didn't, but generally we know we're going to do well. But there's so many great Aussies. You touched on it before. Andrew Hoy um, with Kevin and Shane are just incredible in the equestrian. I was there last night. They were amazing and everyone had been telling me about Andrew Hoy in the lead up and saying he's such a great man, he's such a great man. You don't realise it until you meet him, how wonderful he he is and such a champion of his sport. The Matildas as well, weren't they incredible um, in that really I was falling off my chair at that at event. There were so many things happening and um, they were such... They knew that Australia was watching and even when I interviewed them afterwards and said, I think everyone in Australia's heart was in their mouths. We fell off our chairs throughout that game and equaliser in the 89th minute. They came back really strong. Of course, unfortunately, they didn't um, make it through in their last game, but an incredible just display of how much sport means to us. And I think we'd all forgotten that in those lockdowns. We'd seen AFL and we, we got that back up, but we'd missing out on the games by that year we'd forgotten how much we love it and I think it's made us feel a little bit Australian again (laughs) I I would agree and so the Opals last night that was a beautiful win to see wasn't it and they had a really tough game the match before um they they really wanted that win it was so exciting I think we had Ryan Daniels out there uh for Channel 7 and he was trying to do the post-match interview and they he couldn't get a word in they were all <laughs> screaming and jumping around and he um he did really well to get the interview done but uh, they were so exciting and such a, you know women women in this Olympics have been incredible. I'm not taking anything away from the men, so don't jump on me for that, whoever's watching, but the women have been amazing. And, you know, we talk about championing women and and being a feminist and all those things. Well, you know, even boxer Harry Garside, he did a really interesting post I saw yesterday where he posted all um, the negative comments that had been made about our female athletes saying you know don't worry about winning gold get back in the kitchen and he posted a whole collage of all of those negative comments that have been made yeah about our athletes and he wrote a really honest spiel down the bottom which said you know I used to be someone who made these comments and none of you could do half the things that our extraordinary female athletes Uh, are doing and have done so it's really nice to see men being cheerleaders for women in these games as well and supporting all the gold medals and achievements that have been um that have all that have come out of the tokyo 2020 games because we live in the past here (laughs) (laughs) well i mean if you look at jess fox comes to mind you know oh my god i'm in awe of her um particularly as a very bad canoeist, just to put that on the table. <laughs> I, I, just, I 
just watch her tackling those rapids and I'm like, you are made of steel, lady. I mean, the pressure, but also the physical effort involved in that. It, I mean, I, I absolutely was just so excited when she won gold in her canoe slalom event. But, but also the other person who came to mind from yesterday was Riley Day, um, the Australian sprinter, who, you know, she said, I think, after her race, having done really well, that she's working um, at, at Woolies and mm. trying to make a living to fund her, her training. And you kind of, like, I think in Australia, we can have a bit of a perception that, you know, elite athletes and obviously taxpayers are funding a lot of their training and that, you know, there is some support, but not every athlete is is getting that. And there are so many hard yards, you know, there can be decades of effort that they go through from when they're tiny kids, you know, getting up in the morning, 4.30, going to the pool, whatever it is to get to where they go. And then it's still struggle street often, even just to get to the Olympics. I mean, there's just so many of those stories. Oh, there absolutely is. If you look at our uh, women's softball team, we've got an accountant on there. We've got an AFP um, officer on there. Harry Garside, the boxer I just mentioned, is a plumber back home in mm. Victoria. Um, they mm. all have, most of them have full-time jobs away from um, these sports. And for example, um, the Japanese softball team, you come out of college, you get a job with a major company, say a, a big you know, Panasonic sponsors you throughout your career your softball career and then you go straight and after your career you go and work for that company and it's just not like that for so many of our Aussie athletes who have to find a way to train uh, and to make their dream happen I met one of the shooters the Aussie shooters and he said to me that you know he had to strike a deal with his work that he would work four hours a day and still train he had 75 people working under him and when he comes back into hotel quarantine he will manage that group of 75 people after leaving the Olympics. It's really tough for our Aussies, um, but they make it happen. And you'll never hear them say the word sacrifice is something I've noticed. Mm. They haven't sacrificed in their eyes anything to be here. They just want to be here because that's the drive that they have. It's absolutely incredible and inspiring because I struggle to do my full-time job sometimes and they're <laughs> doing it all. Oh, it's extraordinary. Their, their, their desire to be the best blows my mind because I'm not, I don't have a competitive spirit, so I'm not made to be an athlete, but they really want to be the best and would not give up ever. It, that's why we love it, isn't it? That's why the sports just, it, everything you watch, you just in, I don't know, it just gets you right in the heart because you can see how much heart they bring to it. What about Emma McKeon, who has become one of our greatest ever Olympic athletes and uh, I think now holds the record for the amount of medals a woman has won at the Olympic Games or equal I think equal with someone in Helsinki I come from my notes here you can tell me Chanel <laughs> what she what, yeah. have you spoken with Emma since this extraordinary performance in the pool yeah we have and isn't she extraordinary and the thing that you'll notice about Emma and the thing that you'll notice about all of those athletes as much as the swimmers as well is they're so humble they, when they win, they really want to win. And Emma's a really great example of just how humble and, you know, they want to share it with the rest of the team. She is just incredible. And I think we've all been in awe of our, um, our swimmers as a whole. They're all amazing, you know, sharing the podiums with each other when they do win, celebrating every win together, no matter if they're gold and bronze in the same 
race they're just truly truly inspiring and we've seen those excellent you, you can see the swim team as well the bond they all have and you can tell how hard they've wanted it the other thing i just want to touch on as well if i can with some of our athletes is the mental toll of these games that extra year i think was really difficult for some of them um they didn't know if they would come, if for some it gave them an extra year to train and that was great, for others it really put the pressure on. Um, and the mental side as well of going through lockdowns at home and having to train the way they did, not being part of their um, teams, having to train alone in their states was really difficult, especially in sports like swimming where it can be a solo sport. Boxing can be a, spol a solo sport, running, athletics, those are my phone keeps ringing. I'm deleting that call. <laughs> well, we are keeping Janelle, you guys I'm actually me. wondering. Sorry, Joe. Uh, I, I was wondering since the phone's ringing. I was wondering if it was Brett Sutton because um, <laughs> you know if you haven't been following Chanel on Twitter, get on it because she's the purveyor of of the the day's facts in regard to uh, the various lockdowns to the point that the Victorian Chief Health Officer Brett Sutton declared her um, his his top choice, um, the chosen one, shall we say, <laughs> chosen one. Um, so you probably picked good timing to go to the Olympics, Chanel, because at least Melbourne's out of lockdown and it's, you know, everyone is not like sitting watching their Twitter feed every morning waiting for, for the numbers. So you, you picked your break well but i'm sure everyone's looking forward to you getting back in australia rolling out your daily facts yeah and look the daily facts was something that came <laughs> along because i realized that in the media we were getting so much more information that then that was actually making it to the news and there was really good information there that i thought could help people understand the situation better and full disclosure i think the media including myself made mistakes during the pandemic it was a really difficult time for everyone and probably introducing people especially in victoria to those live press conferences every day was something that the public just hadn't seen before they didn't know how to react and we didn't prepare the public for it either so you know i think just giving people the facts is what I came up with. I'll give you the facts. You decide how to feel about them. Let's throw in some humour. And if you're going to be on Twitter reading a huge thread, let's learn something at the end. So I always throw in a bonus fact that has nothing to do with COVID. Um, so we're all learning at the same time. Yeah, I'm, I really love that you sort of mentioned that, I've got to say, Chanel, because I've, I've had a love-hate relationship with the media since the pandemic began because I have to keep giving myself a break from what I'm reading, because I think at times it has been really irresponsible. It's been um, difficult to digest and know what is what is factual and what is deeply biased at times. Um, as a member of the media, I'm, I'm, I kind of find it refreshing to hear you say that you recognise that and actually it must be frustrating for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think I absolutely recognise that. And I think that, um, this was the one news event, global event, that impacted every single person, whether it be you wanted to know if you could look after your, if your kids were going back to school, if your business was going to be okay, um, if you had COVID yourself, it impacted everyone. And we in the media just weren't ready for that. We weren't ready for the global pandemic like the rest of the world. And we made absolute mistakes, my, again, myself included in that. And it took us a little while to work out how to do it. And I realized in in this pandemic, and it should be the case always, but it's not, that there was never a more important time to be straight down the line. There was no room for inserting 
emotion or fear into this pandemic and that's what I've learned through it is that it is our job solely to tell you what's happening and it's up to you to decide how you feel about those facts and numbers and if I tell you the number is 203 today and you go okay I can deal with that I could tell you the number is 203 you might go away and feel really frightened by that but it's not my job to tell you how to feel it's your job to decide how you feel about the news. I love that. It's it's just been awesome to have you on the show, Chanel. We hope that you guys uh, continue to stay safe in Tokyo. Um, your Twitter feed continues to give us all the information we need with some awesome facts at the end, as you say. Um, so thank you so much. And you yourself has become, you've become quite connected with Kirsty Wiebeck on Twitter as well. She's been lovely to me, I must say. I can't cancel her. I will not cancel her no matter what she says because I just love it. <laughs> oh, what a joy. Um, thank you so much, Shana Vella, over there in Twitter, in Twitter, over there in Tokyo, I should say. Uh, give our regards to all of the Aussies over there. I will. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Chanel. And we'll have more Broad Radio after this. Well, Zoe, when uh, former MP Julia Banks released her book earlier this month, I think it was, God, what is time? I think it was this month, (laughs) her book Power Play. Zoe, you alerted me to one of the points that she made, which is the importance of independent MPs in our government and the power that they have. And so that led us to think, well, how can we actually encourage women perhaps to go down that path of running for parliament and being an independent? Um, So... We're very pleased to welcome to the show someone who is an expert in this because she is a former independent MP herself, Cathy McGowan. Good morning. Good morning. It is so lovely to speak with you. Can you tell us, you were an independent uh, for Indy for six years. What was that experience like for you? Good morning and good morning, everybody. And so we, we call it Indi, actually. Just oh, I'm sorry. Local. <laughs> uh, no, that's fine. Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, and it was in, I'm now 67. I became a member at 60 and it was sort of my career. I, I loved it. It was big. It was work. It was really challenging. Um, it really made me a much better person. And it's the sort of job that I, I think is not for everybody, but for those women in particular who are looking for that challenge and that opportunity to be of real service to their community. Um, I, can't, I can't recommend it enough. So I'm very happy to talk today about why I think that. Kathy, you and I know each other. We, we've known each other for a long time. We did a trip to the US together with a group of women back in the late 90s. And, you know, it was very evident then what a dynamo you were and are. So I can't say that I was surprised when you decided to enter federal politics. Um, but I'm curious why why you did it. Like what, what tripped you from being an advocate for rural women, which is what you were, among other things, um, to deciding to step into the political sphere? So a range of things, and it wasn't a spontaneous decision. It was a journey for me, as many big decisions are. In the first instance, there was a group of young people, this electorate of Indi, who um, were very unhappy with the state of their presentation. And they said to some of our oldies, like, you need to step up. You have leadership. You talk about us doing things, but you need to step up. So there was that call first off. And then as 
as we moved into getting organised, I was happy to be a team player and be part of, could we make the seat independent? Um, I got more and more, uh, it, more and more people came up and said, well, Cathy, if it's going to be, it's going to be you. You know, you've got the skills, you've got the interest. But the debate in my mind was I already had a life, I had a business, I was doing really exciting work in agriculture, Zoe, in India. Um, and I, was, I, I, loved, I loved the excitement. I was running my own business and it was really doing good work. So I didn't want to give that up. But what, what, got it, what, what really made the difference in the end is that, is that saying, if not now or when, and if not you, who? So we looked around for other people. We, we went to meetings with lots of famous names, with footy players and mayors, and said, would you stand? And they no, not interested. I said, well, if it was going to be me. And we had a strong team around me, so I felt reasonably confident. And then so many other people stood up to leadership roles. So what we had in the end was, while I was the candidate, I wasn't alone. I belonged to a, a really supportive group of people. I think in the end, and we have Monday night meetings and 20 people would turn up, a huge diversity of skills and whatever. And so the team actually got me elected and I was the spokesperson for the team, if you want. And then when Haynes decided to chip up in 2019, the team was there for her as well. So I think that's what made it. I belonged. It was a really safe decision, though challenging and exciting. Why are independents so important to our parliament? Mm. So could I, if you just give me a minute, I'll, I'll, I'll explain how parliament works. So in the House of Representatives, there's 151 electorates. So the magic number is 75 plus one for the speaker. The team that gets the 75, it's winner takes all. And if you don't get your 75, then you're in opposition. Now, the thing about independence is we're not part of those teams. We're not Liberal, we're not Labor, we're not Green. We actually represent our communities. So that's what independent means. And you sit in a very special place in Parliament. You sit on what's called the crossbench. And that what makes it special about being an independent is because you're not in the teams, you're still a player, you still vote, but you're very, very special. And you're special all the time because you can speak your own mind, you can represent your community, you can do what you think needs to be done and you vote how you need to do. And why that's so special is because all the others, the team players, can't do that. So the team players have to um, act the same way, to do what they're told. And there's only a limited number of positions of leadership in the teams and they're really competitive. And I think lots of the news we've been hearing lately about how bad the parties are and misrepresented in particular is because of the intense competition in those parties for the very, very small positions of leadership, um, key players, and the, the competition to get them is intense. And for the women, it was particularly intense. I tell you what, the books didn't want the women being the leaders. They had those positions for themselves. Whereas on the crossbench, whereas as an independent, uh, the competition is quite different. The skills you need are really different. You need to be a really good negotiator. You need to be able to be strategic and you need to be able to build alliances. But for someone like me, I'd always run my own business and I'd worked internationally and was independent by nature, as you were saying. Zoe. So that worked superbly to my strengths. Oh, well, it, you kind of lead me to my next question, actually. And it's a bit twofold. One is, yes, now we see, so Helen Haynes, who followed you into the seat of Indi, you've got Zali Stegall, who beat 
uh, Tony Abbott for Warringah in Sydney. You've got talk of um, perhaps a, a flock of independents who might run in various seats in the next election. So has what you did created a kind of a model um, and a system mm. for how to get in, not only independent women but independence in? Well, there's, there's two things about if I could answer in two ways. The When I first got elected, I was the only woman on the crossbench. It was me and Clive Palmer and the blokes. And by the time I left, there were four of us on the crossbench. So I think what happened, women actually looked at me and, and Rebecca Sharkey and those other women, whereas we hadn't had that before. We, we The last independent woman had been um, Pauline Hanson, um, and she was an independent, um, but by default, because she didn't get pre-selection for the Liberal Party dropped her. So I think people looked at the crossbench in that picture and they, they saw women like themselves and thought, oh, we were competitive, but we, it's a bit like being on the netball team. We really mm -hmm. did some work together. And then mm -hmm. I, that has happened is the idea that um, I come from northeast Victoria, which is a rural electorate, and it's what's called a safe seat. And the thought that a, a group of country people um, and we, we were quite skilled, you know, effective country people, but that we could run a campaign that overturned a safe seat, I think that's what got people's imagination. And so people in other safe seats said, oh, oh, well, maybe I could do that. And I think the fact that we were women was, it could have been anybody, but there were public women, Helen and I and Zali and the others, you know, quite competent professional women, and we could hold our own. And the community said, oh, well, we like you, you know, we'll vote for you. So I think that that model is being what you can see is really people are going, well, I don't like what we've got. I don't like the two teams very much. Um, and maybe this independence is a way of doing it. But the short answer to the questions, Ali, is, yeah, there are lots and lots and lots of people out and about now thinking, well, how can we do that? How can we run a campaign? How do we find a candidate? How do we get the community behind us? And then how do we make a safe seat, a competitive seat? Mm. So there's a lot of work happening in that. Well, Cathy, um, and I do want to acknowledge that you are in country, uh, in, in a regional area, in actually still in Indi, I believe. Yes, um, I, we, I live in Indi, yeah. Yeah, hence the internet connection isn't very good. So I feel like we, we've got to sort of get as much information as we can out of you before it all goes bust on us. Um, and you mentioned the the questions people are asking, how can I get a team around me? How can I actually mobilise my own skills and the people that I know to maybe maybe get elected? Um, and I want to get that information from you, but the, I also wanted to reference this photo that we've been showing, um, which is, that's you getting a round of applause, I believe, as you said farewell to Parliament. And there's another image that we have of you with Anthony Albanese and you're surrounded by your fellow independents there. And it indicates to me that it's a very different experience for independents being in Parliament. That, you know, you look like you're kind of having a good time rather than what we're hearing about the kind of treatment that a lot of the women in our parties receive. It was a lovely job and I was did six intense years and achieved what I wanted to and then was very happy to move on to something else. And I know, I know the others feel the same. It's it's wonderful. And that 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 photo there is the, my community came up in busloads to Canberra, and they gave me a standing ovation. So there were hundreds of my community in the gallery clapping and cheering and saying thank you. So yeah, that doesn't happen in the parties. So that was amazing. And the other the other thing about the job that is you actually get things done. 
So the wonderful thing about being an independent is you actually can be true to yourself and get things done. And we've set up a web page called the Community Independence Project. And the project is about in supporting people who want to run as independents. So you go onto the network, onto the web and find it. It's thecommunityindependenceproject.com.au. And I'll, I'll just finish about this photo here. The thing that I loved, I loved about it is there's so much capacity for my strengths to come forward. So here we are, the, the whole crossbench. And I was a team leader in this one, negotiating with um, Anthony Albanese. And then just pr prior to that, we'd had a similar photo of Scott Morrison, who was then the Prime Minister, coming up and talking to all of us about how we were going to vote. And it was just so much fun because we would caucus beforehand, we'd talk through the strategies, we'd decide who was going to be the spokesperson on this and then how are we going to follow it up afterwards with all our different um, networks and ways of doing things. And so while we were never the main players, we were often the bit in the middle that created the difference. And I know that Helen Haynes is doing that now with integrity, Zali is doing it with climate, and they're actually they're actually moving the levers of parliament in a really significant way. And if we had more independence, and dare I say women independence, I know it would make a huge difference to that parliament. Well, I would love to see more independence in parliament. And if you are watching and thinking, oh, maybe there is a calling there for me, head to the Community Independence Project and yeah, start on the journey. I imagine it's a very difficult one, but it sounds like an incredibly rewarding one. Zoe, have you ever considered running for parliament? Uh, I'd be lying if I said it hadn't crossed my mind, Joe. But, and you know, Kathy is an inspiration to me, 100%. We've known each other for a long time. And I think what she's done is extraordinary, especially for a rural community like Indi. Super impressive. And then to foster Helen Haynes into the same seat, you know, I think that in, in and of itself says a lot about Kathy, that it's not about Kathy, it's about other people and community and, and what that brings long term. But, you know, like a lot of women of my ilk who probably do have something to offer, as you would too, there is a hesitancy around just what that experience would be like and the negatives of that. It's a big commitment a big mm. challenge, a big commitment. And as we've seen over the last 12 months, not always the most positive environment to work in. But I, you know, take a lot from what Kathy mm. said, you know, if not now, when, if not me, who? You know, mm. I think that's a question we all have to confront ourselves with if we wanna bring change to the world, positive change. Mm. And can I introduce you to my book? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's called, it's, it's called Kathy Goes Amber. And it tells the story a bit about how we got there, what we did, and why, from this country perspective, it's possible. And I, and I hope it takes away some of the fear that people have that the job's too big. And, and if you get a team together, it's just like running any business. Totally possible and, and a really good place to be. Mm, I love this. It's totally possible. Oh, I would like to empower you today. If you're thinking of doing it, do when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But it's totally possible. And yeah, seek out this book from Kathy McGowan and seek out that website as well because there is assistance out there as well. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a little bit of a shaky time with your internet, but we got there. So that, it was really wonderful to have you on Broad Radio. Thanks, Kathy. Broad Radio, talking inspo we love, info we need and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. Women's health is an absolutely critical topic of conversation here at Broad Radio. We're really passionate about advocating for and supporting women in their women's health, which is why we are so excited to announce a partnership with Jean Howes for Women's Health. It's an amazing organisation that has worked tirelessly to advocate for women's health over the last 30 years. And the most exciting thing is that we are going to be doing a pop-up show for Women's Health Week this year, 6th to the 10th of September. You'll be able to see us every day sharing stories and information around women's health. And to talk more about the amazing work that Jean Howes for Women's Health does, we are so thrilled to welcome to the show CEO Janet Micklemore. Good morning, Janet. Good morning. How are you? We are both really well. Oh, I'm speaking on behalf of you, Zoe. Are you well? So very well. Thank you. Thank you for checking, Joe. <laughs> I don't want to assume. Um, Janet, for people who don't know, could you just share what sorts of things Jean House for Women's Health does? What what the the amazing work that you do. Joe, that's a great question because we do uh, a variety of things focusing on the needs of women. So we, when we set up in 1992, we had a very clear vision that was to provide clinical services for women, to provide education programs and also undertake clinical research that was relevant to women, particularly at that stage at midlife and beyond. Janet, how have things changed over that period? Have your areas of emphasis shifted in terms of women's health? They've expanded, not so much shifted. So it's really in response to what women are asking us for. So when we set up, the organisation was set up in memory of my mum, Jean Hales, and she was very focused on the needs of women at midlife and beyond. Her absolute mantra was make women from say mid 45 onwards a priority and ensure that they're in good health. So that means that 
we, when we opened, we were really looking at the needs of what was called the menopausal woman. So what did she need in terms of symptom relief, uh, preventive health strategies as she grew older? Was then what we know... Sorry, I interrupted you. Go oh. on. No, go, Joe, because I think I know what you're going to ask. Go well, for it. Well, I just wonder if at that time, 30 years ago, to be speaking so openly about what you call the menopausal woman was groundbreaking then. Well, I think actually what mum did in the late 60s, early 70s was absolutely groundbreaking. One of the things that was said about my mum was that she was affronted by how her colleagues and the community regarded women as they got older. And mum was no shrinking violet. She used her medical knowledge to make it better for women at this time in their lives. So she was absolutely a pioneer. So in 1972, she opened the first clinic in Australia, devoted, and that was at the old Prince Henry's Hospital on St Kilda Road, a clinic that was absolutely devoted to women at midlife. For me, what was even more staggering was that it was staffed by what we would now call a multidisciplinary team. So there were female GPs who specialised in women's health. There were endocrinologists or hormone specialists, gynaecologists. A to say you were absolutely focused on women and the menopausal transition was totally groundbreaking. She opened a second clinic at the Royal Women's Hospital in Parkville in 1974 with the same model. But what she also did was travel the country and talk to GPs and women about best practice management of menopause symptoms and how women could look after their bones and their health as they got older. That to me was absolutely groundbreaking. So when she died, in 1988, way, way too young. She was only 61. Her colleagues, and the family can take no credit for this, her colleagues who were all absolutely devoted, and that was the beginning of Jean Hales for Women's Health. And so would you say that that's been a success, Janet? I mean, Jean Hales for Women's Health is its own success story, but that shift in mentality, would you describe that as a success story? Zoe, that's a slightly confronting question because I look now at how some people regard the menopause, menopausal years and the menopause transition and there is still stigma around it. And we've noticed recently a lot of media talking about women in the workplace who are going through these symptoms, how to best manage them, etc. And I think We've still got a long way to go to focus on actually women and men as they get older, but let's just focus on women at the moment. There are lots of things women can do to make themselves be in better shape, be it exercise, diet, etc. But there are some women who are seriously challenged by menopause symptoms. And then if we go to other areas that we look at now, polycystic ovary syndrome is one we look at and focus on, and also endometriosis for exactly the same reason. They are, we identify gaps in knowledge and care in women's health, and then ensure that both health professionals and the community have the latest evidence-based information so that those people 
can be well managed and well looked after uh, as they manage those symptoms of those particular conditions. Because those conditions are so debilitating and they receive very little funding, very little research, and there's still so little known about it. Menopause, I think, has attracted some funding. And recently there has been a lot of funding um, for endometriosis. And I think that's a result, that endometriosis funding is a result of women and support groups who've done a fantastic job lobbying funding bodies, be it government, uh, charitable, charitable bodies that donate money to ensure that A, the awareness is better about symptoms of endometriosis and management of it. But sadly, even yesterday, I heard stories of women turning up to emergency departments with absolutely shocking pain and either being told that they were dependent on drugs or that it was all in their head. We've still got a long way to go that it's not in women's heads. They are not seeking illicit drugs. They are in serious pain. That pain needs to be acknowledged, it needs to be believed, and it needs to be well managed. Similarly, even now, when we look at the menopausal woman, who may complain of a variety of symptoms, which do actually affect her quality of life and do affect her ability to cope with families, communities, and in the workplace, we actually need to address those and say, these are the best things for you to do to manage those symptoms. These are the risks and benefits of these uh, management strategies, but ensure it's the latest evidence to provide to both women and health professionals who are looking after those women. Are we getting better as women at firstly stepping forward and speaking up about these issues, but also self-care uh, along, along the way? Uh, two great points. I look at how my daughter, who's in her mid-30s, how very open she is about her health, her ability to talk about her health and her friends. I'm 67 and I still think that women of my age group are reluctant to complain, to say anything isn't going well. I think there's a cohort in the middle between my daughter and me who are actually doing much, much better than my age group at talking about things that affect them. And the stigma is reducing um, for particularly sensitive women's health issues. But it all depends on women's confidence. It depends on their knowledge. And if Jean Hales does nothing as an organisation except raise women's confidence to talk to their health professional, talk to their friends, that would be a big win for me. But it is all about being able to have the confidence to go and talk to doctors, to say, this is what I'm worried about. Can you tell me what are my options here? And Zoe, you had a second question, and I, now I've forgotten what it is. <laughs> well, I think you answered both of them, because one was really about speaking up, and the second one is about looking after yourself. Um, uh, and th those two things yeah. are, are quite interlinked in, in many ways. They are, but you're right about looking after yourself. Particularly during the pandemic, there's been some good and bad things. We've all had to actually 
self-care in terms of when we've had to isolate, when we've had to go for COVID tests. So we've actually become, as a community, and I think women are particularly good at this, we've done very well. But in terms of where women put themselves on the priority list, and I'll use myself as a bad example, I work in the industry, I know what I should be doing, but during the last 18 months, we know that women have not taken up the opportunity or have been able to do their normal screening. And I could fib to you and say, oh, I've been perfect at this, but let me tell you, I haven't been, but the dog has been to the vet, <laughs> but I actually haven't been to my cardiologist to have a checkup. So we actually put a lot of people first, and I probably nagged the kids and made sure they've done their checkups. Historically, we know the literature tells us that women are not good at putting themselves first in terms of self-care. And that is something I hope younger women will be better at, and that is looking after themselves. It is not selfish to indulge in self-care. It's actually just a great thing to do. But women are not fabulous at it. It's very hard because we feel the pressure of meeting our work expectations, caring for the family. If we have kids, that kind of juggle is a whole other level. And then, you know, dog needs to be walked and you've got to do the laundry and the house needs vacuuming. <laughs> and in the end, you fall into bed at the end of the day, exhausted, having done nothing for yourself. It's very hard to say, no, right now, I'm giving myself 45 minutes to go for a run. Oh, Joe, you've just, nailed it on the head and no, I'm going for a run or actually I'm going to sit in a bath with a cup of tea. That is That seems for women a slightly selfish thing to do. And if we had one message, women taking time for themselves, and I know this is such a cliche, but the old safety demonstration on the aircraft, put on your mask before you look after other people. We've all heard it a million times, but it does apply to our own health. If we're in bad shape, we cannot look after people we live with, we cannot work effectively, and it's a really bad strategy. But it's gonna take a little bit more time for women to actually appreciate that that's the way to go. So, this is, I suppose, one of the reasons why I think it was 10 years ago, 2013, uh, Jean for Women's Health established Women's Health Week, which has now become a national event on the calendar. What was your motivation in establishing Women's Health Week? Uh, getting the conversation started, Joe, and I think that's what we all want to do. We want people to ask questions, uh, talk to their health professionals. So it was all about let's talk. And it's been remarkably successful. I've watched the development of Women's Health Week over that period, and I'm staggered and thrilled at the engagement. So this year, even when things are challenging, we're heading towards 2,000 events right around the country. We jokingly say from the Tiwi Islands to Tasmania, but it's absolutely true. We have from the smallest communities in the northern parts of Australia to the most southern tip of Australia. And that's very exciting seeing women get together, talk to each other, and we provide daily content for these women uh, that they can 
look at. It's providing opportunities, different learning opportunities for women. I come from an education background and the thing I'm absolutely passionate about is making sure that we provide lots of ways for people to learn and lots of opportunities for women to talk to each other. There's nothing better than connectedness as we all know. And the one thing, I don't know about you too, but I'm really missing catching up with friends, keeping in touch. That's what Women's Health Week does. It connects communities, it connects women, and equally it provides opportunities to learn more about their health in the five days of content. Yes, and I'll just give you the five days of content are really cool this year. You've got them themed. So each day represents a different theme yep. around women's health and they are mental health, movement versus marathon, periods, sex at any age and sleep. All five of those things are so critical for women's health and we're looking forward to bringing our pop-up show 6th to the 10th of September where we're going to be having in-depth conversations about those five things. I have been just overjoyed to have you on the show this morning, Janet. I love the history that you and your family represent for women's health in Australia, to hear about your beautiful mum, Jean. And Zoe, this is my favourite taking takeaway from this morning, affronted about the way women were treated <laughs> as they got older. <laughs> How good is affronted? I'm always affronted. <laughs> Zoe, you Such often... a beautiful photo of Jean Hales too. She looks like a tough woman. Yeah. Oh, she was the kindest, most generous soul and so damn funny. She was hysterical. It must be such a delight to do something so important in her name. Oh, I, I love every day that I work at Jean Hales, absolutely love it. But I also have great admiration for, frankly, the guts my mum had to stand up and say, this is not good enough, people. We need to treat women better than this. And that was in the late 60s. Mm. Oh, that's our mantra today. We need to treat women better than this, Zoe. Yes. <laughs> what a champion. Yeah, but thank you both very, very much. And thank you for this fabulous partnership, which I know together we're going to do wonderful things for women. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Janet Micklemore. It's been lovely to have you and to share all of that information around Jean House Women's Health. Um, Zoe, I'm going to go about my day affronted as often as I can because it, it comes on me sometimes. <laughs> yes. I'm going for an affronted run today, Joe. <laughs> after that. <laughs> There's lots in the world to be affronted by. It's what spurs us on. So, um, so thank you so much for uh, joining. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Me again on Broad Radio. It's been a joy as always. Loving it. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. And we'll be back with Broad Radio next Tuesday. We'll see you then. Come on,